0: Today's episode is brought to you by Ozark Christian College. The Master of Arts Strategic Leadership Concentration at Ozark is for those who are called to lead in a variety of Christian contexts, from churches to nonprofits to parachurch organizations. The Strategic Leadership Concentration partners with you to dive into God's Word, to lead God's people across generations, across cultures, and into God's future. So, what's next? Learn more and apply for free at OCC.edu slash masters. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Disciple Makers podcast. I'm your host, Dave Stovall, and you're about to hear one of Relational Discipleship Network's track sessions— from the forum that we hosted last year. RDN exists to help people shift the culture by being confident disciple makers. They do this by hosting conferences, church planner boot camps, and elder learning communities, and a lot of other things. So make sure you check out RDN1.com after this episode. And I got to warn you that the audio came to me pretty distorted, but I've doctored it up the best that I could so that I could include it this season because they just shared some super insightful and helpful stuff in these episodes. And I think you're going to be blessed by it. So let's go ahead and jump in and hear from Relational Discipleship Network. Here we go. Well, thank you for
1: picking uh, this track. This is hosted by the Relational Discipleship Network. It's creating a disciple-making culture. My name is Luke Yetter. I'm the director of our network. And if you are new to the network, the network is a collaboration of churches that are committed to shifting their culture to make disciples. And so if you have an interest in shifting your church culture, then this network is uh, designed to help you shift your culture at your existing church. And so we do that through training and coaching. And one of the reasons I'm passionate about this particular topic is my wife and I, in our 30s, we did not know the Lord. And we went to a couple churches that were Sunday-focused only. And we didn't experience much of Jesus there because we were fighting and arguing in our marriage. And we were hoping to put God in the center of our marriage. And I'm super thankful that we had one of my staff um, at my company invited us to go to check out Real Life Ministries. This was 20 years ago. And they had about 200 people there. And what I'm thankful for is Real Life was focused on making disciples of Jesus. And so there were some folks in the lobby, just regular volunteers, that saw their role to make disciples. And they uh, invited us into their lives. They invested in us. They led us to the Lord. And they discipled us. And I'm a raving fan of what Jesus can do in and through somebody. Because I didn't know a single pastor 20 years ago. And so becoming a pastor and being on staff at Real Life for about 12 years, one of their executive pastors, has been an honor and a privilege. And I appreciate Jim taking a chance and hiring me, because a lot of churches would not. And so we created the network about 10 years ago. And it's churches that are committed to helping other churches make this shift. And I'm hoping you want to reach people like me in your community. Because uh, there's a lot of lost people in your community, true? Yeah. All right, so if you're committed to do that, I know the network, the churches in the network are committed to help you. In fact, the people that uh, we have up here speaking are churches that are in the network. They're senior pastors that have made this shift, and so they're all in to help you. And so what I want to do is if you're interested in taking the next step, there's a card on your table, and if you fill it out, we'll call you. And we'll just, however, we can help you. We're in to help you. And if you want some uh, some free resources, you can go to rdn1.com forward slash forum, and we can we you can get a resource there. And uh, we're all in to help you. And so let us know how we can help, and we're in to do that. Um, I want to mention this. We get asked this question a lot. What are some churches in your network that have made this shift? from different contexts, from different backgrounds, from different denominations. So here's what we did. We asked 10 churches in our network that have different contexts, different denominations, say, hey, would you write out 30 steps that you did that were instrumental in helping you make the shift? And so that's what this is. And so some of the churches that are up here, their 30 steps are in here. So if you uh, want to check out a sample of that, you can go to that forward slash forum. There's a free sample there of one of the stories. You can kind of check it out. But this is a resource that we made to try to be helpful. All right, what I want to do is I want to introduce uh, Brennan Bowers, Mr. Brennan Bowers. He's a senior pastor of Awaken. He is going to emcee the session. Mr. Brennan Bowers, come up here, my friend. Can we give him a hand? What I love about Brandon is he planted Awaken Church. And so he started down this path of creating a disciple-making culture originally from the very beginning as a plant. And his, his uh, steps are in here, and I think it's awesome. And I appreciate you're willing to uh, do this, and you're willing to reach people like me in Charleston. Sure. So love you. Thank you, man.
2: For sure. I'll yeah, give it up for Luke. So Luke's voice is uh, fading, so that's why he asked me to emcee. Uh, he's an Astros fan. and was cheering too hard for him. The brave overtook him. No, uh, that's, that's a joke, but hey, I want um, right, to, right before we get started, uh, you know, coming out of that main session that we just had, it's, it's no secret that, you know, we faced a challenging year or two years as church leaders, and uh, one of the goals that we have, or one of the callings that we have as pastors, is to keep unity in our churches. That has no doubt been a struggle, I think, for a lot of us uh, over the last 18 months, and so what I want to do before I ask the panel to come up here and join me is if you have a question, we're gonna have some time at the end of our session for Q and A. If you have a certain question about, hey, how did you handle this situation or what would you do in this situation? This is a free fire. And uh, I didn't tell the guys necessarily we're gonna do that, but if you have any questions specifically, these are the experts and they need to be able to answer that question for you. So uh, go ahead and write it down wherever you are and then at the end we'll take time for some Q and A. But uh, right now I wanna go ahead and ask uh, Jim and Bob and Scott And Joel, where you at, Joel? I think you're up here too, right? Gus, no you're not? Alright, we're coming up here, we're going to put you on this one too. Um, What I want to do is is have these guys individually just share a little bit about where they are, where they serve, where they pastor. Um, Maybe a snapshot, guys, of the city that you pastor in, uh, just to show like, how some of the demographics, some of the setting may be a little different, but the challenges were the same. And um, and maybe just what you did specifically, some things that you or your team did to build a sense of unity even through a very divisive time. So, Bob, why don't you go ahead and launch out? You'll be the first
3: and uh, share your story. Um, so we are in Cypress, Texas, which is northwest Houston. Uh, and so in our community, it's a, it's a pretty... Uh, well-off community uh, It's uh, suburbs, it's uh, exploding with growth and uh, incredibly diverse. So our community uh, has people literally from all around the world and um, just growing rapidly. And so our church is a reflection of that community. and so uh, our church is incredibly diverse. Our staff is very diverse. And so uh, one of the things that we had to wrestle through uh, as we went through some of that was how do we, how do we bring unity in the midst of a ton uh, of divisiveness amidst a lot of the diversity where people land on things very differently? And so uh, we had to wrestle through that. But that was a little bit about our, our community. Not like Scott's.
4: Uh, i'm I'm from uh everett washington just north of seattle washington um and I, i should hear some sympathy from you right now come on christian right um yeah and you know um i was just talking to the table over here from cincinnati um and telling them that uh washington has the strictest covid mandates in the country um you know we just, a couple months ago, there was a second wave of mandates in all this. Um, they are beginning to um, fire state employees who are not vaccinated. Uh, there's pressure on all of our corporations, our teachers, uh, and I, I know it's coming to our, our kids soon. Um, and, and so there is an incredible um, spirit of disunity in our state, and the church uh, is right in the middle of that as well. So there is incredible tension and, um, and for us, you know, there's so many topics. If you uh, take yourself back, uh, you know, let's say two years we've been dealing with this, you know, it, it, COVID was just one of the things, right? So COVID hit, we're going through that. Uh, remember the race uh, wars and that just exploded. We had the most contentious presidential election in my lifetime, right? And in and, and Washington state, you, we got the murder hornet. Okay, I don't know if you guys saw that, some sort of hornet from Japan that could kill you, right? So that's running around in our state too. I mean, Washington's a mess in every aspect of the world. Um, but this is what we all went through, and, um, and, and tension was there. So for us, um, it, it really uh, becomes about discipleship. And, and I'll talk more about that piece of it, but um, I'll just give you a little teaser. Uh, If you look at our our call to disciple, you're going to see the idea of authority in there, and and it's a very important topic. So I'll leave it at that.
5: So my name is Joel Owen, and and, uh, Brandon put me on the spot. I'm not supposed to be in this session, so uh, I'm going to pretend like I have really cool things to say to you guys. Uh, I'm from East Tennessee, about four hours east of here, Kingsport, and uh, and, yeah, we faced a lot of the same kind of challenges along the way that probably most of you did and have, and that's that um, when it comes to the unity idea, we had people who uh, very much acted like COVID never happened and never existed, and we shouldn't be worried about it. And then we had other people who were very on the extreme end of going, this is going to kill everybody, and we should all be very careful about everything that we possibly do. And so within your church, when you have those kinds of different ideas, and we've all been through the, the political season and all the different things that occurred in that, we had to find ways to balance uh, the message of what we are going to be communicating, but also to maintain and fight for relationship in that. And so that's the, the whole point, I think, of what we're gonna be talking about is how do you how do you just fight for relationship when there is so many different approaches and different ideas and different methodologies and ideologies and philosophies to everything that you're struggling with and facing. Uh, and and oh by the way keep the message on center, which is Jesus Christ and his desire for us to be disciples who make disciples. Uh, So that's a little bit of our context. We're we're in the Appalachian Mountains, a very um, uh, poor area of the country. Uh, Within about an hour of us is one of the poorest communities in the entire country. Uh, And so there's just a lot of different approaches and ways that people think. Uh, Our city is a um, A little bit more affluent because of a a giant chemical company this area, Eastman Chemical Company. If you're from this area, it's a global chemical company. So we've got a church full of PhDs and chemists and all kinds of crazy things. People hand me spreadsheets all the time. And I'm like, I don't want to see your spreadsheet explaining what's going on in our world. Just don't do that anymore. All right. So a little bit about my culture and my context. Uh, I'm uh, at Real Life Ministries in northern Idaho,
6: so we're near the Canadian border and not very far from Spokane, Washington. And so um, our area has a less, lesser demographic of what you would consider, uh, we're a deeply red state. Um, More and more blue. coming in but now because of uh, we're kind of in the middle of a migration from California Washington and Oregon all three of those states are pouring in so now our housing market is triple Um, people that live there can't afford it I mean it's it's the landscape has changed so much now the problem is that there are people that are angry on the national scene or where they came from and they're coming into our our area Blasting the school system, blasting what what they came you know the problems they had where they came, they assume that they're the same where we're at, so what I've got is um uh, a spectrum of red um, moderate red to a growing number of, of of you know kind of centrist red and then hardcore uh first and second amendment rights um, Trumpsters, uh, nationalistic sorts of perspectives on a various degrees. So um, somehow along the line, I've never been called this in my life, I became a liberal. I don't know how that happened. I don't know how that could be. But um, so trying to keep the red, the, the, the groups of red, on the same page. Christians who have always agreed on the major issues on the same page has become very, very challenging. And uh, there are a variety of different churches that are uh, putting up their shingle. We, we have in two of the churches that are growing the fastest in our area have decided that they're going to teach the Constitution of the United States in the Sunday School. And they, they, they started a militia. And so we've got variety of different sorts of things happening, and so it's been very interesting times.
2: You know, I'm laughing because, Bob, you don't have a militia in Houston, right? Um, Well, maybe there is somewhere, somewhere. (laughs) Uh, You know, one of the things that I love about the network, the RDN network, is how diverse it is, the churches that are in it, and how how diverse it is. It's one of the things that drew me to the network. Uh, We planted a church back in 2013 in Charleston, South Carolina, and um, to date... Our church is incredibly diverse, racially, politically, socioeconomically, uh, educationally, and diversity has always been one of those things in the church world that we we long to have. It's like like the picture of heaven, uh, but a diverse church this past year really struggled uh, because you just couldn't appease the spectrum of opinions and preferences, and and all of us have wounds to show for that. But uh, one of the things I love about this network is a collection of a couple hundred churches that, you know, you got Appalachian Mountains, you got the Northwest, you got Houston, one of the fastest growing and most diverse cities in the world, uh, and then you got Seattle. It's spread across the country, different contexts, different populations, different demographics, uh, but disciple making is still happening. And what's amazing, when you look into uh, the RDN network, uh, these churches made disciples even through a very difficult and trying time. And I don't think it's an accident that that was able to happen. In other words, that when services shut down on Sunday, the ministry didn't stop. And so what I want to do is, is allow us to hear some of the best practices that took place from these guys and the churches of how they maintained unity and still made disciples even in the midst of a very difficult time. So whoever wants to jump in first at maybe some of your best practices, some of the things that you guys saw and did well uh, and that you learned through COVID.
3: Yeah, I think one of the things for us, uh, as I mentioned, because and, and I know even if you say you know we're very diverse and yet there's four white guys up here, um, but, the, but we are as a network and the desire, and I'm super glad to see as many women in here too because we need women discipling women, and, and, uh, and so I just really appreciate the heart and the desire for us to see that from that perspective. And so uh, May of 2020... Um, when the stuff happened with George Floyd, I remember a couple of our staff members, one specific, uh, one of our small groups, Pastor Derek, he's an African-American man, and, and uh, he's sending me a text saying, hey, did you see this? And I, he sends me a, the video, and I said, no. I was, and I was just blown away, and I'm like, oh, my word, I, man, I am so sorry, and... and uh, <laughs> Just you know, really, almost without words, and I get with him. So I contact him. I said, "Hey, let's meet." And uh, and he's weeping. And I'm sitting there, and I'm just going, um, you know. One of the things was, I, I, you know, as we talked through it, I said, "Derek, help me understand. Like, this isn't new. It's wrong." I understand anger. I understand ticked off. I understand frustrated. I, but you're weeping, and, I, and, and, and so we kind of navigated through it. And here, here's, I, I left that conversation going home. I said, God, you, you've called me to weep with those who weep. And I don't get it. Like, I played ball in Philly and, and went to school out there and been around all my life. Lots of close friends that are different colors than me and national, all, all that stuff. And so I thought I did. But here I've got multiple staff that are just really hurt. i got a church that's full of folks that are angry, upset, hurt. you got other people that are clueless. And and so I'm just like, Lord, I need need help. Like I need to understand what my brothers and sisters in Christ are going through. And so be careful what you pray for. Because in that, God began to show and reveal. I started getting with some of my friends. I had an ex-NFL player. A close friend of mine, I said, hey, I want to sit down and understand from your perspective. We had the chief of the sheriff's department in our church. I went and spent some time with him and just said, hey, I want to understand from your perspective in the police department as a chief and as a black, like, what, what has that been like for you? And then my wife's getting with a bunch of her leaders who are also African-American and just trying to better understand. And then we did this series called The Gospel and Race. And if you want, like, if you want to grow a bigger target On your back, just try that one. Because I thought this is gonna be awesome. Because this is gonna unify our church. Like we're gonna get back to the gospel. Because what I kept hearing was the political sides of things. Like this is a political, you know, all all, all this stuff on both sides. And and then all of a sudden we're no, no, we're gonna make it about the gospel because this really is a discipleship issue. One of my close friends that I was discipling. You know he's super into politics, and and so you know, um, and so I kept going back with him. I'm like, Rick, I'm telling you, bro, this has to be about the gospel. This has to be about discipleship. You keep wanting to make it political. It's not. And so, fast forward, we we go through this series, and um, I had, and I even said at the beginning, Hey, listen, some of you are going to get really triggered by the stuff we're going to talk about. Here's what I'm going to ask. You would write down what you hear me say and stay curious. Come ask. Because sometimes you're going to hear stuff that I'm not even saying. And then for those of you that... you know, and I, Anyway, so I walked through all that kind of stuff and navigated all that. And then, and, and so you have white folks that felt like all I did was say that they were all racist. You have, you have also African-American folks that just felt like I didn't go far enough. And then you had other folks that were just indifferent. And so trying to navigate all of that stuff, but still being back, back people back to, these are family. Like, how do we love and care and lead and stand up and speak up for our brothers and sisters? Like, what does that look like? And what does it reveal about your own heart when you stand indifferent about the topic? And so it really caused us to really dig deep and have to navigate some very hard waters. And then, you know, months later, then you have the, you know, you, you, you have all the political stuff and you have, you know, the mass mandate. And of course, if we, if we didn't lift the thing and we don't have faith in Jesus, and if you did, you don't care about people. And, you know, you just, you, you were getting shelled from every side. And so for us, we just had to make a commitment. that like, Here's what we're going to do. We're never going to appease people we're never going to make everybody happy. I can't, I can't make decisions based on trying to make people happy, or I won't just make any decisions. But what we can do is stay committed to the mission, which ours is, we're going to make and send disciples who love and live like Jesus. And at the end of the day, we're going to stay committed to that mission, and hopefully we'll begin to move the dial a little bit closer to the gospel. And so my encouragement is that as you guys navigate your own context and whatever it is that you're, I would just say, keep it focused on the mission of making disciples. Don't, don't take the bait of all the things out there. And there are good things for you to speak up on and all that kind of stuff. But I would just say, keep the main thing, the main thing, and that's to make disciples of Jesus. Yeah, that's good. And hey, as as these guys share, they're going to say something that,
2: that spurs a question in your mind. Write it down. Put it as a note in your phone. You're going to get a chance to ask that in just a couple of seconds. Guys, uh, Scott, what would you add to what Bob was saying? Uh,
4: uh, Amen. All right. Come on. Just just real briefly, uh, you know, we need to get unity back in its proper place. Uh, And I just want to take you to a text, you know, John 17, right? The high priestly prayer of Jesus you know uh, that prayer in the garden that he's praying he's crying out to the father right he's going to be arrested soon tried crucified for us right so um last words right we're always trying to figure out important people's last words right so this is you know jesus you know a big chunk of his last words and what was on his heart and his mind two things right discipleship and what else Unity of the infinite, countless things that Jesus could have had on his heart in that moment. What was on his heart? Unity. And he prayed for you and I. I believe he saw this. And he prayed for unity. And I think we discard it and put it down, you know, kind of here. We got to get this right, this right, do this, all that. And uh, this unity thing, Christian, uh, is a witness to the world. As they are falling apart, are they dividing? Uh, They're spitting hate at each other. Uh, A sad thing is the church is doing the same thing. It doesn't look like what Jesus prayed for. Something different, something unique, something powerful, a relationship, a bond that would, will be together through thick and thin because of the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I would just say this is we have to, we have to get unity back in the place that Jesus has it. All right, I'll leave with that. Jim you got a thought.
6: A, a couple of things we use big broad terms like we need unity we need these things but we've got to break it down a little bit further first of all if you don't have relationship with people to start with then then the voice boxes on the TV tell you what those other people are thinking because you don't know they're thinking something different they, they, they the, the, the devil is the accuser of the brethren he loves to fill in communication gaps with lies so wherever there's a relational gap he fills in the gap with something else so if you didn't have relationship and get to know each other before you didn't know each other's hearts then what happens is here comes the TV to tell you what's in somebody else's heart and rather than being curious you're accusatory thinking you know you know what they're thinking and so you're arguing against something they're not even thinking because you don't have the relationship to know the difference right, so being disciples in relationship builds relational ropes where people, rather than saying everybody of a white color or everybody of a black color or everybody who's this or that uh, believes this, you know people of that color and that's not the way they see it. But again, when you are just you and your TV and you're isolated and you go to church, stand up, sit down, eat a cracker, say a couple things, leave, shake hands, everything's fine, fine, fine. This is what you're left with. Secondly, you have to teach. We had to teach and go Listen. Uh, this is a non-salvation issue. You can be a Christian and have differing perspectives on this. There are first bucket issues, there are second bucket issues. This is a second bucket issue or a third bucket issue. So we preach through Roman 13, Romans 13, 13, being under authority. Romans 14, what do you do on issues that... Uh, who are you to judge another man's servant? Here's issues that you keep to yourself. Here's issues, and we had to walk through and teach people how to deal with conflict, because the only voices out there dealing with conflict are pointing fingers and shouting and screaming at each other. It's true. Conflict is a part of this, and it's always been a part of this, from the very first church on. Who who took care of the Greek widows? I like Paul. I like Apollos. When we disciple people with doctrine only and not in the one another's, then people think they can be Christian because they have the right doctrine, but they, they aren't known for their love and practice, which means dealing with details on how to deal with conflict. The inevitability of it, what do you do with it?
2: Are you shaking? I'm, I'm, I'm going to interrupt. Okay, go ahead. So, you're a practitioner, and you get a microphone one hour a week, max. So, how do you, or how have you, discipled your people toward conflict resolution relationally when all you have is an hour a week?
6: Well, there's nothing you can really teach somebody to counter the culture one hour a week. So if your whole system is around one hour a week, and so you have to have people in small groups, in discipleship small groups, teaching them to abide in Christ and in relationship with others. So it's a constant voice every single day. You may only have one hour a week where you're reinforcing what you're saying, or you're talking about a specific thing, but if it doesn't funnel out of there into practice through other people who believe what you believe about those things, it will never reach the people in the, in the chair and change the, how they act on social media. If there's no accountability, no relationship, and, and everybody has a voice in social media, it, it, immature people, in the name of Christ, killing each other, and there's no relationships outside of that, then your system is set up to fail. So
2: the reason I ask and what I love in agreement with is because you know back, back 2013, when, when I got connected to the network and, and came through a DS1 training, up to that point in my life, saved in college, Southern Baptist Seminary, great churches, the pulpit was the primary method of disciple making. So the sermon that you taught and how well you landed it was gonna transform and change people's lives. This network helped teach me that discipleship happens in relationship. That is small group or Sunday school, however you wanna frame it. And my point is you can't drop these principles home singularly from a pulpit on a given week. Like you've gotta be in relationship with people. It's one of the things we kinda of take for granted up here. Um, let me ask you, That's what good. would you, we got discipleship, what would you define a disciple as? Well, Matthew 419 says you're following
6: Christ. Come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. You're following Christ. You're being changed by Christ. Changed into what? One who loves God and loves others. So head, follow, heart, changed by Christ, loving God, loving others, and committed to the mission of Christ. Your purpose is to be, a rec- you've been reconciled to God through Christ, and your job is to be a reconciler. Blessed are the peacemakers. And so our entire mission is to be a part of the mission of Christ, not the, the mission of the Republican or Democratic Party. That's good. And so... What are we? Who are we? How do we fulfill that? How do we build relationships where, when I'm frustrated, I don't wait till church to hear a message from somebody up there. I'm in relationship with people that I talk to, to walk me off the ledge, to remind me of different perspective, to pray for me, to ask me the question, okay, you're right about this, Jim, but what would Jesus have you do? And what's the most important problem? And you're doing life, not just once a week in a small group, those small groups, large groups, small group to life on life, doing life together as a community of believers that support one another, walk together in a relationship with each other so that we're wrestling through these things so that when we do present ourselves and our ideas in the world, it's cloaked in Christ and we represent Christ
2: for who he truly is and that changes everything. It's good. Joe, what would you add? I put you on the spot, but what would you add to the the conversation?
5: It's probably really important for us to remember. I know we get caught up in our own struggles and problems, but your church and you are not the first church and the first person to face problems with division and brokenness and those kinds of things. I mean, the very earliest church face these exact same things, right? Remember when they came to the apostles and they went, hey, the, the Grecian Jews are not being taken care of. The Hebraic Jewish women, they're getting, you know, like there's all this division. What are we going to do? And when Jim talks about relationship, I love the response. It says, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. Well, they only know that somebody's full of the Spirit of wisdom no. if they're in relationship with them. Because of the relationship that these guys had within the early church, they're able to go, hey, there's a need that needs to be met. Who's going to help meet that? The pastor can't do all of that. You can't do all of that. Your small group leader can't do all of that. Who's going to do that? Well, let's find some people in the church who are full of the spirit, who are full of wisdom, who can take care of these things, who can bring the, the problem stops after that as far as we know, right? Why? Because people in a relationship with others step up, meet the need, take care of it. They break down the division. They break down the disunity. And they bring hope, they bring help, they bring peace to all of those things. But again, it comes in relationship. It comes in this context where you're going, let's, let's meet a need. Paul does this same thing in Colossians. When he goes, hey, look, among us in the church here, here, there is no Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. Christ is all. And Christ is in all. Right? And so I think that's where we get to this point where we go, division is... It's it's one of the things that Satan is going to use the most to try to destroy your church, and it's again it's not your church; it's Jesus's church. But let's put it in our context. What's he want to do? He wants to destroy us through division. If he can separate us, if he can separate you from your spouse. If he can separate you from your kids, if he can separate you from your staff, you from your elders, you from your church. If he can keep you from being in relationship, he can destroy the work that God wants to do in your church. So fight for it because Christ is the center of everything. And then when we center around Christ, man, it changes the whole it changes the whole game.
0: Hello Disciple Makers Podcast listeners, I want to invite you to the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum here in Nashville, Tennessee on October 5th and 6th. Jesus had a strategy, a plan, and a roadmap for making disciples. In other words, He was highly intentional. He guided, coached, and developed His disciples into full-on disciple makers, and by living out the Great Commission, they changed the entire world. We're constantly gaining new insight about intentional discipleship as we look closely at Jesus. And if we're thoughtful and prayerful, we can apply many of those same practices today. So head on over to discipleship.org to buy your tickets for the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum. I look forward to seeing you there.
2: Hey, a question I have before we take Q&A is, you know, uh, D- Dave had us raised right hands in there. If we had, if we lost a friend or we lost a staff member or uh, dealing with loss. And one of the questions I would have to you guys as leaders, pastors, um, and let me just, anybody lost a staff member through like the last 18 months because of just disagreement or disunity? Anybody? Want to throw a hand up? Okay. Um, how have you guys maintained unity at the highest level of your churches while you've dealt with losing someone over division and distraction?
3: Um, so one of the things for us is uh we so one of our core values so we have four core values for our staff and, and uh we one of them is fight for relationship. And so we talk about that incessantly, and we talk about going to each other and staying curious with one another and believing the best and choosing trust over suspicion. Andy Stanley talks about that. And um, one of our core values is collaboration. We just feel like we're better together. Another one is fun. Uh, We're gonna have a ton of fun because we don't take ourselves too seriously. And so, uh, but yet what we do, we take very seriously. And the other one is uh, we're servant leaders because Jesus came to serve and not be served. And so we really uphold those four values. And so as we were going through Uh, Even as uh, we were having to be dispersed, we stayed really connected. And so, uh, in the midst of like what I felt like was I was just taking a firing squad, um, you know, just being able to stay connected to my team and to our elders. And so, we still spent time figuring out ways whether sometimes it was Zoom, but many many times it was in person. And, and figuring out ways for us to stay relationally connected. Um, it, it, it's, it's one of the, so I grew up uh, and being taught and trained. I'm 50, so I've been taught and trained that if you wanted a close friend in ministry, you go hire one that's called a counselor. You don't get close to your staff because you might have to fire them. And you don't ever get close to people in your church because they could use it against you and really burn you and hurt you. Now, are some of those things true? Yes. And it's very hurtful. But one of the things that I learned through being a part of this network and spending time with Jim and these other guys and um, is that we've been called, and we've been designed to be in relationship. So if you... I don't want to give you a theological lesson, but if you just go back to God exists in community. He exists in relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So He is in relationship. And so for us, if we were created in His image, for us to operate outside or operate mostly in aloneness or isolation, we're actually operating out of design. We're no longer in the design that we were created to be. And yet we're telling everybody else how important it is. But we've got to be the ones. So I'm, I lead a small group. I lead my staff. I lead our elders. Um, our, our, you know, we have to make. sure I, I disciple, you know, five or six, sometimes eight guys um, on a weekly basis, uh, just because I'm in a season of life where I can do that. When I, my, all my kids were home, that was less because I was also discipling them. And so, so again, as as you think about it, the reason that it helped us stay connected was we were highly intentional to make sure that we kept those relationships close, checking on those families, making sure that we were really understanding one another, how were we doing, how, you know, caring for one another. Sometimes people were in the hospital, we were taking care of them, making sure that the food, all that stuff. And so I share that to say, if you're looking to have a role to where you just show up and preach, and you talk at people, you're not gonna make disciples of Jesus. You might make some disciples of something, but it wasn't the method of Jesus. And so for us, we had to go back to saying, what did Jesus do? We just want to emulate that. And that's what's helped us really stay connected.
6: Um, it's, it's really hard. Um, you know, you don't know this about me. If you get close to me, you realize that um, I'm a broken guy and, and I, have to, I, I need a lot of grace. And... Um, I have to have friends that are courageous and honest and work through things because the closer you get to me, the more broken you're gonna see I am. And I don't want you just to put up with that. I want you to help me grow. One of my key verses is wounds of a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. A friend will tell you what you need to hear even if it wounds you. A friend just backs, or an enemy backs your play no matter what. And so, uh, to set up the kind of relationship where, and to live out the kind of relationship that values fighting for a relationship meaning telling the truth fighting it out when you can't get on the same page inviting others into this um, and to help you work this out to the best of your ability and to, to, you, you'll feel like you've been hurt or you know it just hurt too much don't do it again you'll feel that and the enemy will fuel that uh, and whisper it's, it can be just you and Jesus but that's a lie um, it, and so you have to have the people around you that protect you from you and push you in areas to resolve things that there are times where you get tired of it and you're just too tired you know, I mean, to be real honest with you, it's probably not a week that doesn't go by where we don't, I don't have to resolve a relationship. And one of the key passages that that really impacts my life is when Jesus says, when you come to bring your sacrifice and you realize there's a problem between you and your brother, leave it, go and make it right. And because I have to preach every single week, and that's a, a, that is a... Uh, a sacrifice before the Lord, it's like, hey, where are you at? Where are you at? And integrity is important to me. And what I mean by integrity is not that you're perfect, but that you're intentionally trying to be what you say. Right? Uh, and so, you know, on this trip, you know, in our own board meeting, there's tension that had to be resolved and we had to bring it to the whole group because, you know, a me, usually it's me and somebody else, uh, couldn't, we tried, we, but we were both committed to bring it to the board and say, we need your help. You know, I, before that, it was one of the elders in our church that, that loves both of us and said, hey, you, you guys need to take this and you've got to take the next step and they just won't let you get away with it. You've pre- preached it so long and you've held them accountable to it. They let you hold the held accountable to it. And what we're really saying is our call is to be something before we do something and that means we live out Christianity Bearing with one another, being truthful with one another, not letting the sun go down on your anger. When did not letting the sun go down on your anger and, not say, and doing it, when did that become optional, but the Trinity became something we, we fight for? When we fight for these doctrines, Jesus is the only way, but somehow resolving conflict, as the Bible commands us, is optional. And, and, and whenever there's a fight, we move somewhere else and go, why well, have just been called by the Lord somewhere else? which is why our people bounce around from church to church because that's what we do when it gets rough. We don't work it out and fight, right? A lot of times people use First Corinthians 13 in weddings, but that wasn't written to the church or to the wedding, to the couple, it's written to the church. Love is these things. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love always trusts or retrusts again when everything inside of me says, I don't want to trust, I've been hurt. We have to live that out. And we, And by the way, I can't even live that out alone. I have to have brothers and sisters who help me and, and push me to live that out. Or it doesn't get lived out. And what doesn't get lived out just becomes a nice theory. And all we end up doing is pontificating about theories rather than living what God uh, would have us live.
2: Yeah, it's good. Hey, we're gonna do Q and A Q&A here in a second. One of the things that, um, for me, the value of being connected uh, to a network, um, I back September, September twenty twenty, um, was kind of the lagging effects of everything in the summer. Obviously, height of COVID, and then the election coming. Uh, I got to a place where I was like, I don't, I don't really know that I want to do this anymore. I don't know that I want to be a pastor anymore. Um, and got a lot of other things that I'm decent at and felt like I was better at those than pastoring God's people. And so there was a part of me that just wanted to throw in the towel I called a buddy of mine, Richie, um, who's in Spokane, Washington. He was my coach, um, in this network for, for several years. And I reached out to Richie and I said, Hey man, like this is what I'm going through. This is what I'm navigating through. And, and, and in some ways expecting a fix. And what was really refreshing and, and at a time where everyone was telling me what I needed to do or not do as a leader uh, on the other end of the call was a friend that just said, hey, man, I'm sorry. Like, I'm I'm sorry you're going through that. Like, how can I pray for you in that? Hey, I'm dealing with some of the same stuff over here. It just so happened the Sunday I called him um, or the, the week that I called him the previous Sunday, uh, his worship pastor just didn't show up because he didn't think it was wise to have services with the, the covid situation. So he showed up on a Sunday with no worship leader. And I thought to myself, you know what? It could be worse. <laughs> and I just took a moment. It was like refreshing to just laugh and go, you know what? Hey, we're all dealing with this struggle. And I think sometimes as a pastor, as a leader, we just need to know, hey, there's another lead pastor. There's another senior pastor somewhere dealing with some of the same stuff that we're dealing with. And it doesn't try to fix me, but just go, you know what, I I get it. Like I get it. And so if you don't have that in your life and ministry, if you don't have other pastors, like guys like this, uh that you can that you can reach out to when you're thinking about throwing it in, uh, we all need that in our life. And so um I would encourage you, find a way to get that. If it's not this network, find a network that values you, not just what you can do in whatever church you serve in. So um let's take a few moments and take questions. This is gonna require you raising your hand and talking loudly, and then uh, I'm gonna repeat the question because they're recording this session. So, who's got the first question in the room, anybody? Yes, sir.
7: Yes, uh, my name is David Glover. I'm a former uh, church planter with the North American Mission Board. Uh, But I'm so glad God didn't call me to be a church planter, you know, like you guys, because you're going through so many struggles that I never had. Um, But my question is, and I address this to uh, But first of all, I'd like to say that I believe all of you have been raised up by the Lord to to dispense the knowledge you're giving us uh, right now. And I I really feel the Holy Spirit speaking through you to me. I don't know about everybody else, but I really sense that. So thank you for being here and being obedient to God's call to do what you're doing. Um, Jim, you... uh, You made the statement you can be a Christian and have different uh, views. Okay, my question is are there limits to those views where you can say I'm a Christian? For example, uh, I'm opposed to statements from John MacArthur like he said during the last election, you can't be a Christian and be a Democrat who votes against Donald Trump. I feel that's very uh, just divisive to the church to make a statement like that. That a Democrat can't be a Christian because he's not voting for the other side. I want to know: Do you feel that's a limit to a view uh, in the church where somebody believes that? Well, I've never said that statement,
6: and I never, and I, and I just wouldn't. Uh, and, and again, because that's a blanket statement that somebody's saying that doesn't really understand uh, why that person would be a Democrat, right? Um, you don't know. In your mind, you can't figure it out. And rather than making accusations, which you're really saying you're not saved, it would, it would go, hey, I need to understand some things. I, I, I know you, you follow Jesus. Help me understand this. Part of the reason I wrote uh, with Chad, The Revolutionary Disciple, is a growing characteristic of a Christ follower is humility. That is a revolutionary disciple. And we celebrate pride at every level in this country. And so what does it look like to go, "Um, I don't really know your story, rather than making a blatant statement. Now, are there limits? Absolutely there are limits. Okay for instance if you say um jesus isn't the only way to salvation i i can't command i can't say you're you're not a, 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 a christian but from what i understand about i can't say you're saved but what from what i understand from scripture there's only one way to salvation through christ and so i'm going to preach the truth that i am i'm am officially saying to you if you've made jesus one of the ways to heaven you do not understand the scriptures i don't get to judge your salvation but but that, that doesn't sound Christian to me, and you wouldn't be a part of our church, and, and I'm going to leave that between you and uh, and God, but no. Uh, if you're talking about a, a vaccine, um, there are Christians who have differing opinions on that issue. You talk about the Trinity, I'm going to say, if you don't believe in the Trinity, from my understanding of Scripture and historic doctrine, you would not fit within the Christian realm. So there are things that the Bible clearly says But there are things that that are nuanced and could be in gray areas. And um, we actually have identified what we call our three buckets. There's salvation issues, that this is what it means to be Christian. There are non-salvation issues, but important issues. And they're important enough that we cannot be on the same team together in a partnership. I can't say you're not saved, but I, I can't be in a partnership ongoing with you. Then there are third bucket issues, which are not salvation and they're not important enough that we can't be on the same team. And the problem is when I talk about the three buckets, every one of you would start thinking through doctrines that you would think would fit in each one. So what I have to do is go, rather than leave that up to people, I have to say, here's how we define that. And I'm not trying to save everybody, that's not my job. I'm trying to say we're going to point to Jesus and we're going to be a unified, unified team and so I'm going to define what that looks like in our church and if, if you can't align with that, then go to another church. You're not our problem. You're the Lord's problem. You belong to the Lord. Okay, so... We actually will define in our membership class what those things are so that you know where we stand on it We don't just go because I've had people go. This is really a third bucket issue I'm like no it isn't it's a first bucket issue. Well, I think it's a third bucket issue. Well, guess what? We're the leaders of the church. That's a first bucket issue This is where we stand if you don't agree you're not a member of our church You can attend a service, but Do you understand what I'm saying? The scripture says, warn a divisive person once, then warn them again, then have nothing to do with them. So you have to outline for your people in a world of all these different kinds of opinions. Here's where we're going to stand. Well, Jim, that's just so narrow. Yep, yep, yes it is. So what we have to do is go, vaccine, non-salvation issue. Get vaccine or don't get vaccine. We will not argue about that. This is one of those things in Roman 14 that says, keep it between yourself and God. In other words, shut up. <laughs> mask, non-mask. You can wear a mask. Don't judge another man's servant. If there's somebody who's not wearing a mask, don't judge them. That's keep it between you and God. If you don't want to wear a mask, don't call somebody a little scaredy cat and no faith if they're wearing a mask. That's not your, your business. So what we do is we outline those things, tell them where we're going to stand, and, and people self-select out or self-select in. When they self-select out, we track it. We go to them. We have a conversation. Well, I just believe this is this. Well, let's talk about that. We have a relationship. Let's talk. If we can move them to where we're going to stand together, we move them. If they want, then we say, okay, I hope you'll find a church where you're going to walk with Jesus. But this is where we're going. This is what we're about. We're going to lead. And, and, and so that, that's what leadership is about for us. Excellent question.
2: I thought it was a great response. And what I hear you say more than anything is go ahead and be proactive in in what you believe so you can call your people to that. If not, you'll end up reactive with every individual situation that comes up. What other questions we got? Let's go over here.
8: Okay, um, I hope this doesn't come out, uh, across as an elementary question, but for my situation, we've got a really small group of people coming out of a, a very consumeristic uh, Christianity. And we're breaking free from that culture and trying to create something in, uh, in a town that is typically like that um, uh, of disciples who make disciples. And we just came out of a, um, a 40-day prayer discernment, seven days of fasting, so we're really in a good spot. But now we're down to the practicality of it all. And uh, so my question, especially for Jim, is you mentioned earlier that you've got a group of guys that kind of keep you accountable, and I was wondering the practical steps on how you would take a team that's in my situation, unify them, and keep the accountability and transparency um, coming in, in a culture that we're trying to create like that. Um, is it daily phone calls? Is it daily Bible studies? What's, what are the practical steps? <laughs>
6: so my ears are so bad it was ringing he's asking the clarity
2: for the question is how do you how do you create a circle of healthy accountability for you as a disciple as you make disciples uh he said all of his they used to be consumeristic right. which means they went to bob's church well, they, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh get
6: it, truth hurt so so here's a couple of things guys when you think about discipleship do you, One of the things we do in our church is we talk about what does relationship look like from God's perspective. A lot of times when you think about discipleship, you think about how do you share your faith. Um, you think about um, what you do and what you don't do. As far as don't commit, se- have sex outside of marriage, you know, you, you, here's the doctrines. You think of these sort of Bible college answers. In our culture, people do not know how to have relationship. They don't even know what it's supposed to look like. Right? So they don't know, and by the way, in the five spheres in the book we talk about, Paul talks about your abiding relationship with Jesus, then in the church, then he talks about the home, then the work life. Why in the church does he go there first? Well, because it's in the church that we help people understand what it's supposed to look like at the head, heart, and hands level. If you don't in discipleship learn that, then what you just pass on is what your parents gave you. Or react against what they gave you because you didn't like it. You swing the pendulum to a completely other side. Part of discipleship is to walk through what does a relationship even look like. You hear the word accountability, and you automatically will define that based on um, all kinds of different things you've heard, what you heard at home, you may go, I need that. You may go, i know no way, because somebody abused that. You have to walk through what does it even look like to have a healthy relationship and not assume they know how. Because what they're bringing to your group is what they got from their family. Or what they made up on their own from listening to a sermon and put in, kind of defined it the way they wanted to. And so you'll have people go, well, I'm just trying to hold you accountable. I'm just telling you the truth no grace. They think accountability is, they're going to call you out judgmentally. That's what they're doing. Or, it's just, you got to give grace. You got to give grace. But So there's no place you call somebody out? They, they, make, up, they make up these terms as they go. And so they use that word. They have completely different meanings. If we're going to be on the same page, We have to define these terms. So what does accountability look like? What can you expect from me? And what do I want you to do in my life? And we're gonna talk about that and we're gonna set those terms. And now I can start to go, hey, when you didn't show up for group, I'm gonna call you, I'm gonna text you. Are you okay? What are you trying to do? What are you, a big brother? You know? How did you know I wasn't in church? Right? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Why wouldn't you want me to know? Right? Well, you didn't call me four times this last week. You're not a true friend. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Where did you get that definition of true friendship that I have to talk to you every single day for hours? Well, you said you were going to be my shepherd? Well, where did you get the idea that that's healthy shepherding? How would I live in that personally? These are all conversations that people usually don't have, so people get their feelings hurt. They leave. There was never any conversation about rules of right relationship and what that looks like. So unhealthy rules dictate the day, and they bounce from church to church to church, either judging the church or mad at the church because no one discipled them in any of this to start with. So one of the things that in our church you'll hear all the time, if you're in a relationship with me, I, I don't really know if we're a good friend until we've had a good fight what do you mean if we're friends we don't have a fight no 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 that's not true there's going to be conflict I don't mean fist fight here's what I mean by a fight we get irritated each other we, we don't see it eye to eye I hurt your feelings or I miss something we're broken we have sinful natures I don't see it I don't I'm so busy looking at my if you don't tell me if you have expectations of me that are unhealthy then I, then I will always be a disappointment and so will anybody else What does it look like to disciple people in these kinds of things on the front end so that you can live out a healthy uh, relationship as you start going through the teaching, as you talk about accountability, as you talk about support, right? Why did you call me? I was in trouble. Why didn't you call me and tell me you were in trouble? Well, you're just supposed to know. How am I just supposed to know? You, you, You see what I'm saying? This is a part of
5: discipleship.
2: Yeah, an excellent tool in that. It's super practical. There's a workbook outside. Uh, It's like a 12-week deal that I would advise you to go through with those guys that help define some of these terms of relationship and what accountability actually looks like. That way you guys do that together. And so there's a common understanding and common language. Question over here. With focusing on unity for discipleship, how essential is the typical... traditional Sunday morning still today compared to the discipleship groups, the small groups, all those type of things,
3: in a sense of unity as well? Yeah, so, I, so for me, I feel like the Sunday morning has a significant role. Uh, part of it is leveraging that time to not only equip the body, but also strongly encourage them to get connected in relationship. And so pretty much in my message and announcements at the end of the service throughout, I mean, it's it's constantly, hey, this is one of your next steps. We want you in a discipling Because being in a small group doesn't mean you're a disciple. So it's really important to make sure that's super clear because small group is not the end goal. Like the end goal for us is spiritual maturity. And so you can't be spiritually mature if you're not being discipled or then discipling somebody else. And so for us, we're constantly using the Sunday morning. And so when we share, whether it's our worship pastor or one of the worship leaders up here or for me or the person, we're constantly sharing about our small group. We're constantly sharing about the people we're discipling. Those those naturally come from us because that's just a part of who we are. It's not a program. And so I think... um, you know, being able to really keep that centrally focused and so that we don't have competing programs, we don't have competing uh, agendas, we don't have competing other things that are, that are you know, saying, well, you know, you're going to have to choose. No, 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 we wiped everything out. Like, this is it. Like, you take your next step. This, this is what we want you to do. And we hope that as you get into a small group, really, uh, small group you're going to then get into a discipling relationship. And so that's how we've tried to, to leverage the Sunday morning uh, environment.
4: Can I take a stab? Um, I think I understand your question, and just a a word picture that came to my mind when you asked the question is, it's like a family, right? Uh, And Think of the family table. You come to that table and that family dinner, and you are talking about who you are. Um, as parents, you're setting guidelines, rules. You, you're giving your, quote-unquote, creed as your family. And then you part from that dinner, and you go all about your family business that's in different places. Still critical, essential. So the Sunday morning service is a chance that we come together, and we get to speak to one another as family. We get to uh, praise the Lord in one voice. And so the Sunday morning experience uh, is critical, essential. Uh, and I do hear a lot of people talk, well, let's throw that away and, and just go do this. No, no. Your family needs to come to the table and have some conversations and care for each other.
2: That's great. Hey, would you help me thank these guys, the panel, for sharing with us?
0: Thanks so much for listening to this Relational Discipleship Network episode. I hope that you enjoyed that. And I want to encourage you to check out discipleship.org and mark your calendars for October 5th and 6th because we're hosting another national disciple-making forum here in Nashville, Tennessee. It's going to be a fantastic time. All right, coming up next, we've got another RDN track session episode. So make sure you click subscribe to the podcast so that you know when I release it. All right, everybody, have a great day.